Hi, this is County Executive Barry Glassman, and you're listening to Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties. Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with my co-host, Michael Sanderson. Michael, how are you today? Doing well. How about you? I'm well, thank you. And today on the podcast, Mako gets a fiscal update right from the horse's mouth. We'll talk about that. We'll also get into some legislative updates and we will talk about some other odds and ends from in and around Maryland politics. Michael, let's jump right in. We had our legislative committee meeting this week as usual. We had a big guest, David Brinkley, Secretary of Budget. He was here and he gave our folks a legislative update. He talked about the budget and what what we're looking at and what we can look ahead to. This is one of the good things that, that we're able to do with county leaders is they come to Annapolis and nominally the show is we're going to go through a list of bills. They're going to guide what MAKO should do and we sort of plan our strategy and we set our priorities and so forth. And that's that's the heart and soul of these meetings. But while we have all these county leaders in Annapolis, why not take advantage of that venue? We'll bring in people who are difference makers or opinion leaders or administration, cabinet secretaries and so forth, and bring them in for them to talk to us. Or sometimes they need to get feedback from the counties. It's it's just an obvious way to get sort of double duty out of having all these people in town. You can talk to, I think we had twenty three out of twenty four counties actual people in seats in the room, which is great. So you get, you, I mean, you get a lot done as a cabinet secretary. Come to the Mako meeting and uh, check a lot of boxes. Right. So <laughs> yeah. beneficial for both sides, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And I, let's talk a few of the interesting points that he mentioned. I mean, Michael, we know we have the government shutdown. We've had some weather issues, which right. tend to affect sales taxes, and essentially. I think the Secretary of Budget Brinkley said, you know, we could be looking at a revenue write down in March and this could be significant. But I mean, what are you thinking? What are you hearing around town? I mean, normally this is precipitated by some chatter, right? Right. Well, I mean, what what ordinarily happens, the early March is the regularly scheduled time that the state's Board of Revenue Estimates sits down to take a look at the economic indicators. I mean, a lot of this is you look back on holiday sales and so forth and you say, is the sales tax still looking okay? Mm-hmm. There's some seasonal employment issues that you look at around around the end of year and so forth. So March is a time. Of, this isn't. This is. It's not a random thing. Right. You meet in early March every year, and that's sort of the last set of revenue numbers that you're going to balance that year's budget to. Mm-hmm. So at the moment. Uh, as we've been talking for you know, the last couple of times we walked through fiscal issues, the governor says, here's my budget. It's structurally balanced. This works. The legislature has a few differences of opinion on what things are, are structural and what things are not. So they've got a 60-something million dollar issue to resolve. But that's relatively small potatoes. Right. But I, th- I think what Secretary Brinkley pointed out is if they sit down in March and – the sales tax looks lousy and there's some hiccups in the income tax because of the federal shutdown or for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wouldn't be out of the question at all to see revenues getting written down for the coming year by, I don't know, 150 million bucks. So all of a sudden that $62 million and, problem, that's seemingly yeah, easy you got to 200 fix. or something. I mean, so, so then maybe you actually have to do something about that. Right. And that, that's enough to, you know, 
at least scramble under the couch cushions. <laughs> right, but you and I, I mean, we've been reading all of the analysis from DLS on the various departments, which they do every single year, and they make recommendations right. on potential budget cuts and whatnot, but we haven't really seen any signs that they're preparing maybe for a plan B if there is a revenue write-down. Right. I, I've, I've, I've been around and watched fiscal issues enough times to there, – there's, there's a feeling in the air sometimes when – we think, you know, we, there might need to be a wave of tough decisions ahead. And whether it's because of a revenue shortfall or just because there's some new spending priority or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there are years when, you know, people like us are sifting through these budget analyses and here's a random state agency. And then suddenly seems out of the blue. There's like, wow, oh, here's like an $8 million recommended cut. Or right. we could just, we could combine these two programs or we could wipe out these nine pins or other things like that. And like, I'm used to seeing those sitting in the background and not necessarily that they've got a lot of momentum, but it's almost a a leadership and staff strategy of, we should have a menu of options if we need them. Mm -hmm. And I haven't been seeing that kind of stuff. We haven't seen certainly no, you know, 20, $40 million items that have popped up as alternatives. And we're always watching for local aid, local aid issues as counties. So we're always looking for transportation grants or the disparity grants or, you know, local aid to health departments and police and so forth. So there's stuff that comes to counties and, you know, from time to time, they say we should just, you know, flat fund this, not have it grow this year, that sort of stuff. We haven't seen that kind of chatter really, not just on our issues, but on, on really anywhere. On anywhere. And so what would be the option if you did have a significant revenue write down? I mean, where could the state turn? Are we talking about reserves here or, or what else is on the table potentially? I, I guess um, it's it's a little complicated now. The state has a variety of different, you know, different reserve funds. We have a rainy day fund and it's got a five percent of the general fund as as a standing balance we haven't we've never gone below the five percent to my knowledge Mm -hmm. so so that we don't do but we've got more than we have to in there in theory you could you could declare that it's raining but there there may well be some other pots of money where if if you have a one-time problem of 100 or 150 or something like that you might be able to find a one-time solution to make this year work but overall i mean this year as secretary brinkley said we are in good shape right and he did say, as we've been talking about and others have as well, that there are some clouds on the horizon. So yeah. while this year is great, don't get used to it, right? Right. I thought, I thought. Um, I mean, he was right in line with the way we've been talking about this year. I, I thought he made a an amusing comment saying, you know, this year we don't have that reconciliation bill. We don't have the BRFA that right. rides along right. with the budget and it does all these nips and tucks. And he said, yep, this year we don't need a BRFA. And then there was a little pause. He said, don't get used to it. There was a lot of laughter <laughs> yeah. in the room. Everybody knew exactly what he was talking right. about. So, right. So, I mean, I think I think everybody feels the stage is set that that for a variety of reasons this year doesn't look tough. But he he walked through it just the way we have that even if you don't have a recession, even if everything is just on autopilot, you have a you have a problem starting to pile up as soon as next year and getting significant in out years. And then if anything moves that needle, if you have uh, if you have a slowdown in the economy or you know another federal shutdown, I guess that's looking you know, as we're recording. You know, Senate just passed something, and we're hearing things that that maybe this is gonna we're we're, we're not gonna have a shutdown. The, the so. solution right, right. the solution might be odd, but um, but you know, nonetheless. As far as as far as our economy, yeah, we're we're in a, a volatile spot. So. Yeah, I mean, a lot of great questions from the legislative committee. I think you know there was a great conversation there. But generally, 
a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about, he was in line with. And the only issue for this year is the potential revenue write down. And, and as you mentioned, I mean, there may be some places to go for the state. So it may not be all that bad, but certainly something to pay attention to. Right. So no sirens going off, but, you know, fiscal people shouldn't fall asleep. Right. Of course. <laughs> I, ho- I would hope not. All right. So let's get into a few updates, some odds and ends that we talked about last week. And the first one here, Michael, let's give an update on the post-Labor Day school start debate. Right. So I think as of last week when we talked about this issue, we were we were in the middle of the chess match and the, the Senate had had their bill to basically overturn the governor's rule on when the school year should start and end. Right. Their bill basically puts that wholly back in the hands of the local school boards where that decision rested for a pretty long time. Mm-hmm. Um, that bill, at the time, we weren't sure what was going to happen there. We thought maybe there would be some chicanery on the floor of the Senate and layovers and holdovers and day after day after day. Like, this might drag on. There was definitely some drama. Yeah, there, oh, there, there was but no shortage did, of drama. But it didn't drag on. Not, not, as, not as long as we had thought it might have. So, so, that's, so that's done in the Senate, uh, pretty much a party line, you know, a party line debate and, and a few little stunts here and there. But it basically ends up, now it comes to the House, mm-hmm. uh, the House has heard the governor's ideas about what he would do if a bill were to pass. They've heard the governor suggest he has different options and alternatives. Um, they know the possibility is there for a bill to be petitioned to referendum. Right. So this 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 story doesn't necessarily end this April. Right. And I think the House, now that they're aware of that, that actually – that the you know the ripple effect comes forward and now the house of delegates and leaders and members have to think through okay do we want to do this and that sort of set up that whole process and right. I'm, I'm not sure what the answer is there interesting though i mean just thinking about that do you think i mean the governor sort of showed his hand before the house got this bill right so now they know what options are on the table do you think that changes their mindset even a little bit i i think it might because he was pretty plain spoken mm-hmm. about the levels you know, that right. made sense to him. And right. no, none of these were, none of these were um, breakthrough ideas. It's, it's not like no one had ever thought of these things, mm-hmm. but when the governor stands up and says, you yeah, know, by the way, <laughs> here are some, here are some things like I would do this. Yes. And if not, then I think we would do this. Right. And if not, I still have this. Right. And you know, at the, at the end of the line, if he believes that the people would sign a petition, we put it on the ballot and probably vote to overturn the bill. And I think the smart money is he's right about all those things. Based on all the polls that we've seen. Right, right. 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 So um, if yeah, he's aware that that is a mechanism in Maryland law. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll, it's, it's sort of like you just uh, you just shine the spotlight on it for a few seconds to remind everybody hey, that, that yeah. you know, that's 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 still there, guys. Right, right. So interesting there. I mean, I think the House is hearing their bill right now, the House version of the bill, as we are recording. So we'll see what happens there. But the Senate bill now moves over to the House. And, you know, even if the House and the Senate both pass a bill, that's not going to work, right? Because they have to pass the same bill in both houses. So So, so it'll drag on a bit. We'll we'll see. I mean, it it could be a relatively fast-track issue in terms of the legislative session. Mm -hmm. But even if they have this thing done in two weeks and on the governor's desk, it comes back vetoed and they override it a week later, 
that still is not the end of the show. That's right. Like, like, like most issues where that is this, you know, not very many issues have the broad appeal and understandability that this one does. Right. And so if they want to get this done and they want to be able to override a veto, they just have to make sure they they're within that 10 day rule right before that. Cause that's, he has to sign within 10 days. You can't do it at the very end of session because then they go home, the governor could veto the bill and then they can't do anything about it until they reconvene convening for a special session, have everybody drive back and spend the night in Annapolis. It just plays well in the press. So that better be a big issue. Yes. Usually you just do it in the next January. Right. Okay. So we'll see what happens there, but more to come. Let's give another update here on the treasurer, Nancy Kopp. Last week we talked about she was going to go before a panel. And mm-hmm. this panel, it's, it's a bipartisan panel from the General Assembly. And they essentially recommend to the entire body who they would, uh, who they recommend for treasurer, right. and, this, and this was a process created this year, right? Right. So that was, uh, you know, a, a new wrinkle, right? right. And so, yeah. so she she went in and she had a little bit of competition. There were two other applicants, but this panel recommended that Nancy Cop retain her position as Maryland's treasurer, right? So that that's probably the end of the story in practice here. So mm-hmm. we heard, you know, we heard some some drum beats about the, the the complicated role of the Maryland treasurer. I mean, nominally the job is to be the person who manages the sort of drudgery finances. You you coordinate the bond sales mm-hmm. and you manage the state's investments and other things like that that are important functions, but not particularly shiny and exciting. Not on the front page, right? right. Not then, above the yeah, fold. You don't want to be. If you're right. the state treasurer, right. you don't want to be on page one. If you are. Because if you are, <laughs> something's gone terribly wrong, right? right? Yeah. right. So, so I mean, that's, it's that kind of job though, right? Mm-hmm. And those are, those are important public service jobs. They're not terribly glitzy. Mm-hmm. But one component of that job is sitting on the Board of Public Works. Which is pretty glitzy. It is pretty glitzy. And particularly right now, the, the interesting three-person dynamics on that board and the, the you know, that relationship is complicated. Some of the issues there have become partisan and personal. And there are some in the General Assembly who sort of felt having a really dutiful, thoughtful treasurer is fine for that other stuff. I kind of want a lion tamer in right, there. Right, right. I want somebody to stand up <laughs> and, and, you know, pound, pound the table a little bit. Right, right. right. So, and that's, and that's not, I mean, I, I think, I think Treasurer Cop does that from time to time, but that's not her first instinct, right? Right, right. So, As a treasurer, I mean, typically that wouldn't be your first instinct. <laughs> right, right. So, so I, I mean, I would analogize this process as, as, I don't know, a football team, sometimes you have a kicker and a veteran kicker who's on a contract and you have every intention of bringing the kicker back. Venetary, maybe. Right, yeah, that sort of thing. But you you go out and you bring in, you know, the kid, fr- the kid from Arizona State who kicked the 65-yard field goal on this highlight reel. You bring him into training camp. You, you run him around a little bit. You put the two of them out there together. It's like this old term, a camp leg. Right. And it's, and it's like, we're n- this guy's not going to be the kicker. But we want our 11-year veteran to be somebody who's staying on his toes. We want him to keep fit, keep sharp. And like Stay kind motivated. of earn it again. Right, right. Right. And and sometimes, you know, there are coaches who pull that string. So maybe to some degree, that's kind of what's going on here. The General Assembly, it looks right now like they're going to send out Nancy Cop for another term as treasurer. Mm-hmm. But maybe in the back of her mind, there's a little bit of... I owe it to them to stand up for some of the issues that the legislative leadership believes in strongly. And if she came away with that message, 
I don't think she'd be wrong to, to, to right. have that as a takeaway. So potentially sending a message there. Right. And the, the full body still needs to confirm right. that treasurer cop, reconfirm her. So we'll have to wait and see, but it looks pretty likely now. Yeah, I think so. Okay. So we'll go ahead and take a break there. When we come back, we have big, big news from Amazon just today. We'll also talk about a new proposal for Airbnb. And Michael, I know you and I are looking forward to big polls on the horizon. For sure. We'll get into all that and more after the break. Welcome back to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canelli back here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, we got some major news from Amazon today. Everybody. America got some value. Right, right. I mean, there were some rumblings that this was coming, mm-hmm. but this is a follow-up on, on something we talked about several weeks ago. Sure. Uh, you know, Maryland was in this giant sweepstakes for where the HQ2 for Amazon was going to go. They were saying, we want to have another location. It's going to help us with distribution, with placement, and so forth. And you know, everybody it, – it raised all these interesting questions about the nature of corporate enticement by public sector entities. We'll give you land. We'll give you free taxes. We'll pay, we'll pay the income taxes for all your employees. We'll give you, I mean, so all this kind of giveaway kind of right. stuff. Subsidizing these major corporations. That's a whole right. other conversation. Right. right. It's a big, it's a big conversation, but mm-hmm. I mean, some places decided not to play, mm-hmm. but lots and lots of cities and metro areas said, here's a bid. We want it. We think you could transform our area. Montgomery County, Maryland was one of the 20 finalists, mm-hmm. but Baltimore and Howard County both had pitches in from the state of Maryland. So, I mean, Maryland was in this game. Northern Virginia ended up getting half of the prize. The other part goes up in in the outskirts of New York City. Right. And then sometime over the last couple of weeks, there started to be rumblings going public saying this may not be as good of a fit as everybody had hoped. Mm-hmm. And then today – the bubble bursts. Right. So there was a lot of public pushback that we started hearing about over the last few weeks. And today, Amazon announced that it was actually going to pull out of its its bid in New York. So its new headquarters, I believe, on Long Island, they're not going to go there anymore. And there is sort of now a lingering question of, well, are they going to pick a new location? Are they going to send more jobs to Northern Virginia? What are they going to do? And that has led to a lot of speculation here in Maryland today. The governor, Governor Hogan, coming out and saying he'd like to talk to Amazon. Well, I mean, you know, Maryland, not the only place that's on their mind, but we even saw something earlier in the week, which is a little puzzling mm-hmm. to a lot of us that, you know, some some spokespeople for the Port Covington area were sort of saying, hey, we're open for business. We're ready for Amazon. Right, Baltimore City. And and most <laughs> most of <laughs> Most of the country was sort of saying, "What, what are you, what are you talking yeah, about? Did you, guys, did, uh, did you miss the, boat, the yeah? Right. Did, did you miss the memo on this? It's over." So, um, yeah, they were they were in a different spot. So on maybe it. some foreboding there, right? So, I mean, so I mean, this probably turns into another round of the same kinds of conversations, mm-hmm. and whether it's just you dust off your old proposal, or does you know whoever does 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 uh, Memphis or or Jacksonville or whoever else wanted this? Does mm-hmm. Austin go back to and they say? you know what, we're going to add, add a little more sweetener right. to our offer because we didn't make the top two before. But if we get another bite at the apple, you know what, here's another bag of money. Yeah, I mean, now and if New York <laughs> is off the table, that they were obviously 
major competitor, they obviously won half of the project. So now you'd have to think, we'll dust off our own proposal and add a little bit of a glitz to it to, right. to maybe get them here. So maybe that's maybe that's what happens. I mean, the, it renews the same old debate, but it also potentially stirs this up in the middle of the legislative session. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if somehow this got serious, and whether it were the Montgomery County bid or Baltimore City getting, getting back into the mix, could you imagine if this turned into – I mean, we've – We've seen much smaller scale versions of this before. Years ago, uh, Marriott was talking about moving their corporate headquarters and the state really right, mobilizing right. in the middle of a legislative session to try and create a new plan to keep them around. And you know, whether that was ideal or not, I guess is is you know left to you know the victors write the history books. I guess yep. so um, worked out great. Marriott's Marriott's still around, but that this could be an enormous issue to drop right in the middle of a legislative session with a relatively calm budget. And we've kind of sort of pushed off maybe some of the tough decisions on school funding for a year and that sort of thing. And suddenly out of nowhere, it's like, boom, now oh. we're going to redo Amazon again in Baltimore and Montgomery. Where is it? But oh, yeah, so it could be a big deal. Could be a major deal. Yeah. But I mean, just the news out of New York, it was I think it was pretty stunning. Even though there were some rumblings, it's to, to actually hear them say we're not going there anymore. It's a big deal. The, the thing that's the thing that's just from where we sit is um, – Policy getting done while the legislature in session invariably means you've got lots and lots of cooks in the kitchen. Right. Obviously. And I mean, you know, something happens in September, you've got the governor, you've got the secretary of commerce, you might have the affected county leadership and the economic development teams and so forth. But if the legislature is here and they're convening meetings and they're hearing bills and they're pulling budgets and all this kind of stuff, they're all in there. Right. It's and, all on right, the fly now, right? right? Yeah. There's no time to get your heads together and yeah, get a plan so, ready, right? Right. So if, so if this turns into a, you know, a month-long feeding frenzy, it will be it'll be like sharks biting sharks in here. So. Oh, boy. Well, <laughs> as if there wasn't anything going on. Right. Uh, that, that could potentially put a major wrinkle here. So let's keep an eye on that. And then, Michael, I want to talk about Airbnb. We're talking about hosting platforms in general. Airbnb is the most well-known hosting platform. Yeah. I mean, one of these issues that we talked about a while ago, I think we did a whole episode of the podcast on sort of new technology and new innovations where the policy needs to catch up. Right. And Airbnb and these hosting platforms, it's not exactly a hotel or a motel, but it's not nothing. Right. And if you talk to the hotel industry, they would say it is a hotel and it should be treated like one, right? So, you know, I think where we left that conversation in October or whenever we did that was basically this is an interesting policy area Mm -hmm. and states, including Maryland, are still trying to figure out how do you get the laws to work around them properly. Right. And we've seen various proposals over the years, right, where, you know, they it would subject them to local hotel taxes or they would actually be treated like hotels where people would come in and do inspections and they'd have to comply with ADA requirements and have sprinklers and whatnot. Right. And, you know, that was obviously way too much. People got nervous. Well, I mean, but there's there's obviously uh, – there's a continuum there, right? There's on, – on one end of the continuum is – I mean, we're we're recording from Annapolis, mm-hmm. and there are a few days a week around Annapolis where if you live here, if you want to leave town and rent out your house around commissioning time at the Naval Academy boat or maybe show. one of the big boat shows, right. that sort of thing, that could be a sensible play. So if you do that, you know, one time of year a year, have you turned your home into a hotel, or is that just like is that like having a garage sale right. where we just look the other way because there's no need to get involved? Right, right? where you draw the line. Right. right. Well then. 
then if you do it for every year for two different week-long boat shows and for the commissioning week, and now you're renting out you know the whole house or rooms in the house for 20 days a year, is that a business now? Mm-hmm. What if you do it for 80 days a year? What if you buy a, buy a home and all it's there for is as – as short-term rentals through a platform like Airbnb, or you buy you a house, buy multiple homes, right? Sure, right? right. I mean, we could have a business. You, I mean, you and I can get rid of this Mako shtick right. with all this, all this podcast money we're piling up, and and just just you know go out and buy twenty-five units, and we'll be in the rental business. But is that a hotel? Well, <laughs> well, but, but but there is a new proposal on the table, Michael, which <laughs> might change your mind. And um, so we've seen a bill come in that would essentially say, hey, it, Airbnb the hosting platforms, you have to pay the state sales tax, which is interesting, right? So because so I mean, so the, so the, the the concept of the bill is to say that's a real transaction, right? So we should count it like a real transaction. And on lots of transactions, the state carries a six percent sales tax. Sure, but interestingly enough. Hotels are not among them. So we're, we're not – So okay. So we're not calling them hotels then, right? We're saying this is a business transaction, but we're going to subject you to the state sales tax even though you don't pay the state sales tax when you go to a brick-and-mortar hotel. Yeah, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think what the parallel is. I mean there is a state sales tax when you rent an item that would have been taxable if you bought it. So this mm. is like is, – is staying at an Airbnb like renting a snowblower? Is that right. the parallel here? I, that, it seems like a pretty tortured analogy. Power saw. I can't do better. But um, but that, that's the theory behind this bill and maybe it's just a matter of – you know that's a uniform across the board. You don't have to worry about different rates in different places and that sort of thing. But I mean, one of the difficulties with Airbnb is, I mean, part of it is what is it like? Do you classify it full scale as a hotel, and do you say you have to have an ADA requirement and a health uh, and a health department license and you know a long laundry list of things that a brick and mortar hotel at a physical location has to have? And none of that stuff is in the bill this year, right? We've this bill so just about taxes. Right. But at the same time, there's there's also kind of looming in the background. It's it's harder to pin down this activity, right? And that's that's what's made this a difficult policy issue. We know where the Comfort Inn is. It has an address. They they register as a corporation that's in good standing with the state of Maryland and right, so forth. So right. they they collect taxes on the things that they do that are taxable and blah blah blah. They pay their property tax on the building based on its commercial value. So like all that stuff is knowable for a hotel because it's got an address. Exactly. And then a person, you know, who owns a home and decides to be a host on a platform, that activity, you know, we have, you know, the county the the, the county tax collectors are at the mercy of, you know, get on the internet, scroll through, scribble down addresses and, you know, mark, mark around and pin a note on the door saying, it looked like you had this room for, for sale last weekend. That That's a taxable transaction, you know? Right. So you'd have to have somebody go on these hosting platform sites and just try and see <laughs> right, what's exactly. up for oh, rent, right? $85 on that one. And that's so like that is almost unmanageable. So a centralized process like the state sales tax, there's a certain logic there to say, that's a, I mean, you know, little tiny bike shops and flower shops have been able to collect six cents mm-hmm. on a dollar for their transactions for mm-hmm. a pretty long time. You might be able to ask the same uniform thing of people who are in this business the same way. Airbnb, you know, the corporation could certainly handle the state sales tax. Now, interestingly, though, Airbnb has no intention, at least they haven't in the past, of telling anyone where these properties are because of what we talked about earlier, right? right? They don't want people knocking on the door saying, hey, we're here to inspect right. your, your right. property because now we think this is a hotel. 
well. So you kind of – is this another situation where you just have to trust Airbnb? I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how this would work. Right. And I'm not sure the staff at the comptroller's office, they're used to having here's the physical address and here's the here's the records of the transaction and we can audit it if we have to. And I don't I don't know that that's conceivable mm-hmm. that that can happen with a, with, a, with a platform like Airbnb. So I think it would just turn into – we're self-reporting. There were these many nights and these many dollars, and here's a check for six cents on top. Have at it. Trust us. And that's it. I mean, that's that's more or less what's happening for the jurisdictions that have litigated their way mm-hmm. into getting the local hotel taxes applied is you get a check, and they tell you how much it's going to be, and then you just take it. Right. And so <laughs> interesting, Lilo, what's not in this bill, and you touched on a little earlier where you know some of our county finance folks and municipalities, cities, they are losing a substantial chunk of revenue from these hosting platforms and not collecting local hotel taxes. Mm-hmm. And that piece is not in the bill as as we speak today. Right. And, and and we've got a lot of jurisdictions who that's the backbone of what they do, that how they fund uh, tourism sure. and, and some economic development programs and so forth. People who come into town for festivals and events and so forth, they come into town, they are a draw on public resources. Mm-hmm. We need to provide public safety around those areas and stuff like that. It's, I mean, these aren't events with no consequence. Right. And I mean, no, nobody loves paying taxes, but we off, we were really fond of having public services and they need to come from somewhere. Right. Right. You're going to drive on the roads. You're going to require maybe right. public <laughs> safety and all of these things that we provide every single day. You shouldn't be getting them for free right. is, is yeah. the argument, right? Okay, so we'll have to see what happens with this bill. Right now, it's just sales tax. Uh, there might be some changes. There are some proposals, but you know, we'll have to wait and see. I'm sure you know we'd like to see the, the local hotel taxes there. So I'm, I'm liking this idea, though, of of us going into a side business of the rental properties, and I know just the place. I think I know exactly where you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. It starts with a G, ends with an M, and it's warm. It's warm, warm, warm. <laughs> in case in case people are confused. <laughs> Okay, so Airbnb certainly an issue to keep an eye on. That bill will be heard coming up here very soon. And then, Michael, we've talked about Airbnb. We've talked about Amazon. Let's talk about something we're looking forward to. And there was a bit of a tease today on on what we're looking forward to, right? So very interested in seeing polls on the horizon, yes, right? Polls yes. on the horizon. Yes. Oh, wait, hold on. Polls. Wait, is it? Is this that Not small cell polls. thing, like the five G oh. thing, and they want to build all these like big refrigerator things, and it's going to come in every name? Na- no, yeah, and put no. them wherever they want. No, no, no. no, no. Not, we not, will talk about that. Not soon. those polls, right? Okay. Right. Not those. That's polls. next week's bill hearing. But Oof. for now, like public opinion polls, right? Right. And who better than the team at Goucher? Nobody, nobody. Yeah, right. Goucher, <laughs> obviously, Goucher has established itself as the go-to here in Maryland. They have their finger on the pulse of Maryland's residents, I right? Think, I, I think. I think it's undeniable. They're the ones who, when you look through the polls and you see the things that they were asking Marylanders every so often, mm-hmm. you're like, that is something I wanted to know about. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, know ne- I didn't necessarily right. know I wanted to know, but now that you're telling me that's good. So, so, um, you know, we'll, we'll see next week, the release of, of, opinion polls about some of the big issues that are sitting before the legislature about making a big commitment to education, um, about uh, taxing and, and regulating and allowing uh, marijuana for, for, reg- yeah, for, for adult use. I mean, so, right. Minimum like, wage. Yeah, like this, this whole slew of issues that are sort of on the tips of tongues, things that we've been talking about here, but, but people around Annapolis have been talking about. Mm-hmm. So we'll hear about that kind of stuff. 
Um, they'll get into approval ratings and things of that nature, which are always lively and interesting. They've teased that one of the questions they're going to ask is not only approval rating for Governor Hogan, but also some sort of question about would you like to see the governor run for president? Which has been there's been some speculation. And I mean, people are that's that's it's fun. Normal, it's right? fun talk, mm-hmm. right? It's fun talk. So so a highly popular governor gets reelected and and there's, you know, a lot of interest whether anybody might run in the primary against the incumbent president. So, I mean, why wouldn't you? Look at Governor Why Hogan, not, look right, at Governor right. Baker and so forth. Uh, governors tend to shape up as good presidential candidates. So that'll be an interesting one. That's one of the numbers a lot of people will be waiting to see. But some of these other issues, I think, you know, it's interesting to see, you know, what, what do voters think about, about sports betting, for instance? I don't, I don't, I don't have a good guess there, you know? Yeah. If I, I were I, a betting man, I would if, uh, yeah, I like it. I like it. <laughs> I think I know what you and I think, but we won't get into that. So. There was a tease here, Michael, and we will we will get the full poll results on Monday at twelve oh one a.m. But we're talking about old Bay here, right? Pretty pretty easy, I think. You know, this is pretty pretty self explanatory if you're if you're from Maryland and you know what's going on. Are you are you pro or again old Bay? Right. And uh, uh, turns out Marylanders are Mm. relatively fond of. The, the seasoning and spice that is deeply ingrained in this state's culture and culturally identified with Maryland. 83% so, of Maryland residents have a favorable opinion of Old Bay seasoning. And, and I mean, I'm fond of saying you can't get 83% of people to agree that the sun is going to rise in the east tomorrow. For so, sure. so this is basically, um, if we agree on anything, it's basically that Old Bay is fantastic and sorry, Delegate Moon, this is just oh. not your day, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, Delegate Moon, not a fan, but he, he's... Probably part of the 11% who do have an unfavorable opinion, but 6% say they don't know how they feel about the blend of herbs and spices. I don't, I, I don't really what, know what to who, think about. It's so one out of 16 people is just stone-faced. Right. Sto- have, have, have no opinion. I, I can't form an opinion on that. I, I don't get it. Well, you know, hopefully uh, they were able to form opinions on some of the other bigger policy right. issues. <laughs> yes, uh, but so. if they couldn't figure out what they thought about Old Bay, I'm not too right, sure. Exactly. Right. This might be dial tone. So. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that, Michael, and I know you are too. Always. Okay. So we'll leave it there. A lot of work to do here at Mako. Uh, thank you for joining us. As always, we will be back next week. We'll talk about maybe some of the results of this poll. Should be interesting stuff there. We talked a little bit about the other polls that uh, that may be coming. We'll, we'll get into that maybe. And until then, Michael and Kevin signing off, and we will talk to you soon. Have a good day.